You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T.com, or go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. On Fast Forward Radio and at The Speculist, we talk about what's happening in the world today. We talk about where the world is going, what the future is likely to shape up to be, and we're not afraid to take a pretty contrarian view about that. To wit, we believe that the world is getting better all the time. We believe that if you're not excited about the future, you're not paying attention, and we believe that something's going to happen, something wonderful. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? I am... Super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing great. Doing great. Had a, oh, wait. I had a new answer. I had a new answer I wanted to try. I was going to okay, try let me ask again. Phil, how are you? Again. Yeah. You know, I'm on the road to perfection, but I think I'm taking the scenic route. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's good. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Man, you talk about a beautiful day in Louisiana uh, today. I think it's probably the prettiest day of the year. It's just gorgeous all day. I'm having, some, having a great weekend. Um, autumn, autumn is nice in Colorado. I guess, you know, it's just a special season all around. So uh, uh, it's nice in Louisiana, too. Huh? Are, are oh. we before, prior to the leaves changing, that probably doesn't come for another few weeks, or does that happen at all where you are? Yeah, it happens, and uh, we are uh, probably a good month away from that. But it's uh, it just temperature's nice. It's not too hot. and I mean, it's it's. You know, it's hot most of the year here in Louisiana, but it's it's you know it's beautiful. It's uh, and we just had a good time being outside with the kids all all day today. So it was it was nice. Oh, outstanding! Yeah, we, we supposedly this was uh, the prime weekend for driving your car up into the mountains and looking at the aspens. This is a thing people in Colorado do because the aspens change and they do it over a very brief period of time. So there's this window, and there's usually just one weekend when it's the best. To, to drive up and, uh, and and take a look at the Aspens. And we have uh, we have with us on the line also our chat host, Michael Darling, and we can just check in with him. Michael, did you get up to look at the uh, Aspens this weekend by any chance? I um, I had to do that vicariously through my wife. She was up in the mountains this weekend. I was home moving big pieces of rock and dirt with my uh, with my two boys. Well, you're going to have to explain that to me because you're going to have to explain that to me because I'm you know I'm thinking these are evergreen trees. How you know, why is this a special weekend? For oh, no, Aspens hill? are deciduous. They're they're okay. Uh, you're, you're, um, you're, you need to come out and spend some time looking at the trees because the aspen trees are actually um, these very delicate trees. They they have these kind of rounded leaves. They're they're beautiful, beautiful little trees. And um, they're actually one thing that's interesting about a grove of aspen trees is that all the trees that you see they're actually one organism. They're connected at the roots. So, in fact, um, Michael, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if, I've, if I'm veering from an astounding science fact into a tale of the paranormal, but I believe I have read that all the aspen trees in the entire Rocky Mountain Range are one organism. Have you heard that? Uh, that would be an overstatement of the fact. Um, okay. The way it works is this. Aspens can propagate two ways. They can uh, spread their seed, so to speak, and they can, um, they can propagate by clone. And when they propagate by clone, the roots spread out in a very shallow but 
uh, a wide lateral network, and where they hit the surface and the conditions are right, a new tree will sprout out of that root. Well, that's a clone of the original, and they share the same root structure. Oh, okay. And they're not fact, all connected. That's right. Not every single one. Um, the largest living organism, depending on how you define it, if you define it as one thing with the same DNA, is an aspen grove in Utah um, that covers, I don't know, 2,300 square miles or something. I'm trying to look it up. But it's because as, they, as the roots spread laterally and then pop up, a new tree forms. And to get back to the, why the fall colors become what they are, fall comes slightly sooner at the higher elevations than it does down here. So down here, I don't know, today was 81 degrees and everything is still green. And there's a little color starting to show up in some of the early turning trees. But um, in the mountains, it's like everything went from whatever it used to be to now having the aspens be orange and yellow. Right. And it's quite spectacular when you come upon a grove of them up there. Well, that's – thanks for – That's cool. We'll have to get a picture up in the, in the show notes of uh, – uh, aspens in the process of changing. That'd be awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'll uh, I'll locate one because it is quite a sight to see. Of course, it's a little bit offset since we're on this subject now. Um, and one of the reasons that uh, Soraya and I did not go today is um, there's a terrible uh, pestilence, a, a beetle, which has infested a lot of the evergreen trees up in the mountains. And so you you'll see these glorious uh, vistas of aspen trees, but you'll also see these very disheartening uh, vistas of uh, of evergreen trees that have been that have been killed by this uh i think it's it's a beetle is that right michael it's uh, it is a beetle and what ends up happening is the green, the the evergreenness um the green of the needles turns to brown as the tree becomes infected and it's it's sort of a i mean from a distance when you look at a, a ridge and there's trees everywhere and there's all these evergreens marching up the ridge it looks like a wave of this rust just marching up through these trees, but it's really, yeah. you know, death. It's quite dramatic, but not in a happy way, the way the, uh, the aspens are. Well, that's that's Michael that's Darling. Right. He's our chat host and mountain fauna expert, actually. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> flora. Uh, we'll, we'll have to get the fauna on another occasion. That's headly. But, uh, this e- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I wish I wouldn't talk over you when you say that. Um, we're we're going to be um, we're going to be getting into our topic this evening, which is the world getting better all the time. We, we spent some time last week talking about that. That's a regular feature on the Speculus, Better All the Time, where we take good news stories and we tie them together because we think that, uh, we think that positive developments tie into our overall theme of just kind of this improvement of the planet, the improvement of the human condition. But, Stephen, I understand that you have a, uh, you have a story that uh, runs square against the uh, Better All the Time hypothesis, uh, something okay. that happened to you this weekend. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. Just uh, it, it, it's almost an embarrassing thing. I, what I'm doing is I, I, I take my kids to school. Uh, two of my children, I, I take to school, and my wife takes the other kids in the opposite direction to a different school. So anyway, I'm loading up my kindergartner, and so he's having trouble climbing up in my, my vehicle. And so I, you know, I put down my laptop right next to my car. I help him get in. I get him all buckled in and everything. I, you know. You know, he's safe. I slam the door. I get in the uh, get in the driver's seat, slam my door, and take off to take them to school. And right over the top of my laptop. And uh, wow. and so of course the uh, it smashed uh, the the screen of the laptop. Um, I'm, and uh, I'm actually, believe it or not, running the show off that laptop 
hooked to a uh, ex external monitor. So I guess my laptop has become a desktop. Um. <laughs> but that's pretty good. I mean, you're, the the fact that you're still using it. I mean, I would have thought that it would be just totally wrecked. And what you're saying is the computer functions fine. It was yeah. just really the the laptop monitor that got hosed. That's right. That's right. And so uh, you know, I, so I, I'm not out any data. Um, I'm in good shape on that. And so it's, yeah, hardly a tragedy. I just got to go get another laptop. So not a big deal. I still think this, you know, I, it, it's not as funny, but I think this tops me driving my bike into my garage roof, I think. <laughs> well, yours, yours is just a, a more humorous picture, I think, Phil. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you know, running over, running over one's laptop is something we all dread that we're going to do eventually one of these days. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, since you fixed your bike rack, I guess now I've got to go figure out a way to fix this laptop monitor, right, and get it reattached. Well, if the bike, uh, let me tell you, if the bike rack is any indication, okay, if, if, you can, if you can take an example from the bike rack and apply it to the laptop, what you need to do is get some vice grips and hook that laptop to a ladder or another straight surface and then just start wailing on it with a hammer. <laughs> okay, that'll fix it right away. Uh. Well, that works. Hey, it worked for the bike rack is all I'm saying. <laughs> I, you know. Well, you should well, see this monitor. The, believe it or not, the monitor is still, you know, is still functioning. I mean, it's on. And in the, uh, in the top left corner, I can see a little bit of, 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 the, of the screen. But the rest of it is just, I mean, I, I've got this... Uh, you know, like a spider web of smashed black and white color. I like uh, kind of a, and, and sort of a rainbow pattern in here too. So, any rate, it's uh, it's well. It, the good, the, the good news here is uh, obviously the better all the time thing is they're making laptops better. You can run over them now and still host your show on Sunday evening. So yeah, I guess so. <laughs> See, yeah, I thought right. the happy ending was going to be well. You'll just get a new laptop, and of course, Moore's law. It'll be a better laptop. The laptop will be more powerful than the previous. So. That's right. So or cheaper, one or the other. Well, you're coming out ahead. Anyway, That's you right. want to look at it. You know, except for the money you're out buying the new laptop. But hey, I can't solve all your problems. Okay, I'm just doing my best. <laughs> now, um, so let's 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 find some more positive uh, stories. I'm going to start with one, um, and we'll be looking for contributions from uh, callers. If you'd like to join us, uh, you can call us at 347-215-8972 or participants in the chat room. Anyone who has an idea for a, for a good news story to include in the next Better All the Time. But I've got one. This is actually an update on one we did in Better All the Time number 30, which would have been like uh, November of last year. And the headline was Stem Cells from Skin Cells. And I believe, Stephen, that when I wrote that, I was actually linking a blog post that you had put up on the Speculist. That's right. That's right. And uh, I'd, I'd said this, this is uh, this is great because you know um, though there had been there's there's a political controversy over stem cell research basically because uh, most of these uh, stem cells have been harvested from from embryos which and this required usually the destruction of an embryo. Now they you know they had figured out a way to actually harvest a stem cell line from an embryo and, main, and, and keep the embryo from dying. They've done that. And now they've, they've figured out ways to turn adult stem cells uh, in, into, stem, into these embryonic stem cells or embryonic equivalents. And so, yeah, that, that was – and how long ago was it when uh, we published that, Phil? That, well, it would have been around November of last year, so not even okay. a year ago. Yeah, and so – 
and and we got this huge new revolutionary improvement of that process now. Exactly. Well, I was just I was thinking as as I looked back over that post how how interesting uh, a, a set of developments that news was last November from uh, when we first started talking about this subject. I had done some posts uh, on on the subject, which eventually turned into a series of posts uh, called the tiresome argument, because. Um, I, you know, I was looking for alternative models for how we might come up with pluripotent embryonic type stem cells without actually creating embryos uh, that, that had to be uh, that had to be killed. And one of my ideas was maybe you know there was a, uh, a way of using cloning technology to produce something that was not quite a human uh, embryo, but that would produce those kinds of cells. And if you'll recall, there was this. Well, this is probably what four or five years ago. This is early days, and uh, it got picked up by a couple of. Uh, uh, very, very opposed uh, people who are very opposed to that line of research uh, to embryonic stem cells and who kind of threw me in with with advocates of that and I got accused of being uh, you know an advocate of slavery and uh, of, of being a kind of a Frankenstein monster kind of a guy kind of a Hitler type figure it was it was, it was kind of nasty but um, and, and Godwin's and law was uh, was broken yeah. Godwin's law was broken reasonably early on in the discussion, too. I, yeah. I have to say, um, and and the the um, anger seemed to come from the fact that these guys were saying, uh, "What you're talking about is nonsense. Um, there's only one way to get these cells. It's from killing an embryo. There's not going to be any other way of getting them, and this is something that just needs to be completely abandoned for ethical reasons." Right. Uh, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of different views on whether or not. Uh, uh, and whether and how uh, human embryos should be used for for research, but those guys took it too far. Okay, they took it too far by by saying uh, this will never happen. And I, and I, you know, if I, I go took back some heat the from the opposite side on this, Phil. Um, That's interesting. What, how was that? How so? Well, I had published uh, before this development last November of being able to take adult stem cells and, and or excuse me, adult skin cells or, or adult cells and turn them into embryonic equivalents. Before that, I had written a post basically saying, we're going to be able to do this, um, right. arguing that, that this is going to happen. And therefore, it's going to, and once it does happen, the whole, this, this whole political, you know, argument will be moot. We won't have to worry about it. And that, you know, and, you know, we can all go back to, Holding hands and singing "Kumbaya." There's no no, no Nazis, right, yeah. no Nazis, and um, and I and uh, I, there's a particular blogger who, if I named his name, you would you would recognize immediately. Who wrote back and said, "Well, you're just being foolish. We've you know we you know we've got to be uh, dogmatic about." Well, he didn't use the he didn't say it that way, but what he meant was we've got to be dogmatic he didn't have about to use this. the word right. I mean, obviously that's where he's coming from, right? Right. He, we we need these embryonic stem cells, and we need we need them now. So that we can uh, do this research, and uh, any uh, any you know, if you don't toe that line, then you're obviously anti-science. So, anyway, which is so I guess not as bad as being a Nazi, Phil. So, well, you know, uh, I, I feel that's it's great that we that we both got beat up, and we got beat up from the opposite uh, ideological sides of the spectrum for saying essentially the same thing. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe we were in the right place. When you're taking heat from both sides, maybe you are where you need to be. I, I hope we are. Well, I, yeah, my take is, I mean, and this is just part of the beauty of uh, of the uh, 
human imperative view of of the world of the uh, accelerating change better all the time view of the world is that technology and progress enable us to transcend ideology that uh, that, that that a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, absolutes that that people who get into political debates uh, rely on to um, to define who they are and who the other is and why they're right and why they're wrong. A lot of those things. I'm not saying everything. I'm not saying there's there's no actual right and wrong. I, I, that's the last thing in the world I would argue. But a lot of those things can be overcome by introducing new categories and introducing new options and new alternatives. And this is just you know a fantastic example of how that can work and how that in fact has worked. Because by the time you put that story out, stem cells from skin cells is how I described it on better all the time. I don't remember what the actual headline that uh, that you put up was. You know this thing that a group of people said would never happen, and so we shouldn't talk about it. And the other group of people said, um, we'll slow us down, I guess, right, if we if we focus on that rather than focus on the embryonic stem cells. That was their argument to you? Right, right. Yeah. Don't, yeah. You know, don't, don't, you know that'll, that'll take the steam out of our argument on our side. Don't talk about the possibility of being able to make embryonic equivalents from something else. We may not, we may not ever get to, to that point, and therefore, uh, we have to have embryonic stem cells, so we have to be dogmatic about it. Right. So this development comes along, and it kind of ruins everybody's good time of uh, being virtuous and pure and good and making the other guys the bad guys, which is great. And and the uh, the, the latest development on, on this is um, it, it turns out that the first generation uh, of these stem cells that they created using adult cells, um, it was created using a retrovirus, um, and, they, and they used that to insert what they call the four transcription factors into the skin cells that, that were used to create the, uh, the stem cells. And I'm reading here from the story, it says, because a retrovirus, by definition, inserts itself permanently into its host DNA, this ensured that the transcription factors were transferred, but also led the, to the propagation of the virus itself. So this was a effective process, but a highly flawed process, because it had the uh, uh, it, it, it had this virus kind of carried along as baggage with the uh, with the creation of the stem cells, and it says uh, furthermore, since the virus confers self renewal capabilities to its new host cell, many believe that the retrovirus might be required for iPS cells to reproduce. However, this new research um, shows that a different type of virus, called an adenovirus, can make the transfer in mouse cells without permanently integrating itself. So, what we're talking about is probably, it was a huge step forward to use the virus to do this in the first place, to achieve this result. But there right. was a roadblock. And the big roadblock was, we're carrying a virus along with the baggage, that's not good. And now we found a virus that can do it, it does its work, and then it goes away. And so now I think we're really on track to seeing, I think probably reasonably widespread implementation of of individuals having their own embryonic stem cells, they're, they're not really embryonic, we should use the correct technical term, pluripotent stem cells produced from their, uh, from, from their mature tissues. And at that point, the... Well, and that was my other point, why this is even better. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were saying? I, that was the other point. I mean, this is better than embryonic stem cells because what's, why, is, why would an embryonic stem cell be... Uh, you know, be be less than perfect because it's it's of an embryo that's not you, unless I suppose right. they cloned you, and then took the embryonic stem cell. Um, this way, I mean, they they you have you have a a, a pluripotent uh, 
stem cell that uh, is is um, it's made from you, and so it can be used to fix you, and without without problems of uh, rejection. It's got your DNA. That's right. you know that's the bottom line. The tissues it produces are genetically part of your body, uh, which would not be the case using um, uh, using stem cells, as you point out, harvested from some other embryo, unless that embryo happened to be which was my original idea, some kind of clone or, you know, I was looking for a, a, a not actual clone alternative to cloning, although uh, uh, apparently we, we, don't have to, we don't have to take that step to get the DNA match. You can take your skin cells and you can produce now pluripotent stem cells, which can, you know, the, the, the possibilities here are just about endless, it seems to me. Once these are, once these are being produced, in a large scale. We're going to see not only treatments for diseases, but I think probably all kinds of cosmetic applications for this, uh, probably uh, treatments for injury. I, I, you know, I can just imagine people having their, uh, you know, as you get older, sports injuries, knees and things like that repaired using this, this technology. It seems to me there's just uh, an almost limitless uh, range of applications of this technology, and we're getting much closer to it. We were getting closer to it in November last year, and now here we are getting even closer with, with this development. All right. Uh, it, it's exciting. That's a big deal. And That's it will become a much bigger deal as time goes by, and, it, and, and uh, it gets cheap enough to where it can actually be used on individuals and not just in the lab. Exactly. So what do you got for us, Stephen? You got a good news story? Well, I'm going to go with a funny one. Let's, uh, let's do one that's funny. Um, Apple iPhone is, uh, is offering a, an application for, for, for people who believe that the iPhone is just, you know, it's much too bourgeois now. I mean, it's, it, everyone can get one. If you're, in, if, you're, if you're one of these people that really, you know, your, your self-worth is based on having something that somebody else doesn't have, then here's what you need to do. Go to the Apple iPhone store and buy for $1,000 a screensaver that says, I'm rich. It has a glowing red gem on it. And that's all it does. It's just a glowing red gem. And so when you pull out your iPhone, it's got a glowing red gem and the message, I'm rich. So there I'm you go. rich. And you can't wait. And so you've paid 1000 bucks for this, and it's yep, just that's a status right. symbol? I mean, you that's you all it that is. Go, that's right. I suppose. Super if you, if, who paid 1000 bucks to. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that it also communicates another message. Um, I'm stupid, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know what to do with my money. Yeah. Yes. Please help me spend my money. I have more money than I have since. So anyway, I uh, I, I thought it was hilarious. So I, I suppose that is one way the world is getting better all the time. There are ways to spend your money if it's burning a hole in your pocket. Wow. Well, that that is uh, that is a sen- oh I see in the chat room Michael suggests I'm drunk is another possible uh, reading of that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. Uh, I, I that reminds me of the punchline of a, of, of a joke, but it's very sexist, so I cannot repeat it here. Okay. Well, thanks for bringing it up then. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, sorry, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't complete the joke. I, oh, boy. No, it's all right. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I would guess that it's just a matter of time before somebody hacks this or somebody creates a 99-cent version of the same thing, right? I mean, <laughs> That's right. you know? <laughs> and it'll blow the market away for this, right? I mean, it'll look just like it. It'll say, "I am rich," and have a little jewel, and you paid uh, a buck for it instead of uh, a thousand bucks. That, that, then, the people who paid the thousand bucks are going to feel uh, 
Even stupider. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, they got the hangover for one thing, and then. Uh, hey, I got a, I got a much better one. Let's. Uh, um, oh, okay. That was my unserious uh, better all the time. Here's oh, okay. a serious one. Um, about an hour and a half ago, SpaceX confirmed that the Falcon 1 reached orbit, and it makes it the first privately developed all-liquid fuel rocket to achieve orbit. And it's, you know, th this is a success for the private uh, uh, space industry and a, and a big deal for those of us who are following it. That is outstanding. So SpaceX uh, catches up. They're like... Uh, Virgin Galactic, they're a, they're an upcoming up and coming would be private. Uh, That's right, but they're they're more interested in satellite launches. They're not interested, right. I don't believe, in uh, putting people in orbit. They're they're wanting to be a, uh, a you know a, a a firm that that gets paid for putting satellites in orbit. Right. This was, and this so, was and they had had some other attempts at this. This is uh, this is I think the third time that they tried and this time they succeeded. So, and I'm sorry, what did they what did they accomplish today? They got something into orbit or That's right. Uh, successful orbit. Falcon 1 reached orbit and it was a stable Maybe. orbit and uh they so they're super pumped and now. Uh I, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll see if I can get uh the the link. I'll go ahead and put it in the chat. And it'll certainly be in the show notes. It's amazing. You think about um there was a time when only one country in the world ever put anything into orbit, and then that number doubled. And for the longest time, it was just those two countries who could put something into orbit. And then that got vastly expanded. Although a lot of the people, a lot of the different governments who were putting or countries who were putting things into orbit were using the technology from one of those two countries. And now you have something where you're not talking about a country doing it; you're talking about a company doing it. That's right. It, it's amazing that the, the, the distribution of that technology um, from the state level to the you know to the to the private enterprise level. And I, I'll tell you another story that uh, that is similar to that that we saw this weekend. The Tycho knots that uh, China launched into space, I guess it was on Friday evening, uh, flew up into orbit and completed a spacewalk. And That's you could, right. You could do a, sim a similar analysis of you know who are all the countries who've ever sent a craft into space and had people get out of it and walk in space, right? I mean, it's, that's a very small number. And now, uh, China I think it was just two countries prior to, prior to this week. It was two. Now it's yeah, three. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's three. So um, you, you see it. Uh, you, see, you see this this capability passing to new players, uh, additional states, and also you know kind of being pushed down the food chain into uh, into private enterprise and. You know, I'm hoping that uh, uh, eventually uh, individuals, right, will be able to enjoy that kind of technology. That's what I'm looking forward to. Is uh, well, if the Chinese are right, then uh, then, it's, then it's quite possible that it could happen for individuals. Uh, they are, did you catch this one, Phil? That they're uh, trying to develop the uh, the British M drive. There's uh, a British scientist uh, came up with a with a, the the uh, theory behind it a few years back. Critics have pounded him for it, saying it's, so, it's not sorry, technically you were possible. Whether I've, whether, I've, whether I've caught that, that whether I'm you've been following the story. I'm going to let you off the hook because I know you, you ran over your laptop. I've actually put a blog post <laughs> on the speculist about this yesterday. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Well, that, you say I, I can't read it if my laptop is smashed, Phil. <laughs> yeah, short answer yes, I have been following it. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead and describe it. Yeah. 
Well, the M drive is 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 a microwave, uh, a microwave uh, um, device, very you know similar to what you got in your oven, I suppose, but more powerful. Um, basically, they fill a copper you know um, container in such a way that it's uh, uh, that it pushes something forward through space. Now, it, the reason that scientists have uh, pounded on these guys for this is that, it, that they're calling it a reactionless drive. The critics are saying that you know no you know the microwaves are not exiting the engine. There's nothing pushing the pushing away from the ship, allowing the ship to move forward. Uh, you're, you're not losing any particles behind. Which right. obviously, you know, which would obviously be one of the big benefits from this is that you you don't have to carry all the fuel with you. As long as you've got electricity and you can make microwaves, then you've then you can you can move through space. Um, well, um, I, I, I guess I, I how would you go forward with this, Phil? I mean, the, you know, the, it apparently the guy and go ahead. Yeah, what, what, what's cool about this is Roger Sawyer, uh, British scientist, came up with this idea. Um, it, this reminds me a lot of black light. You know, we talked about this uh, uh, black light energy uh, production methodology that this uh, scientist has developed, and he's got backers, and people are trying to make it happen. And most of the scientific community says it'll never, it'll never work. Well, that's the same thing is true with this M drive. Um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the conventional scientific response is this is poppycock. It can't work. It violates the laws of physics. Uh, it'll never happen. Um, it's a little like the Lorax. It's a little like the Lorax picking himself up at the end of that Dr. Seuss story, and and flying away. You know, because there's, I mean, there's no, there's no nothing pushing the, you know, the the vehicle forward or or causing it to levitate or whatever. There's nothing exiting the vehicle to push it forward. Well, the the developer of this is saying, well, the the reason this works is because of the. Uh, relativity effects, I guess, because these these particles are traveling at near the speed of light because they're bouncing off one part of the drive at, at a different time than the other, and somehow if you're if you have it focused to where it's actually pushing uh, one part of the uh, drive panel more often than the other, then it's going to push it in a certain direction. Uh, you know, I, I I can't say you know I, I I'm not smart enough to follow that to be quite honest. So. I hope that he's right. I mean, wouldn't it be cool? I mean, here, here's your flying car right there. You know. Uh, well, yeah, you would think. I, the, the the bottom line to me on this one is that um, I, I agree. I, I can't evaluate it either. The experts say it can't work. Right. Um, a, a few scientists are persuaded otherwise. And what's to me exciting about this is that it's being tried. Kind of like with kind of like with blacklight. You know, there was a time when if an idea was preposterous and couldn't work resources couldn't be dedicated to that. Um, we, we live in an age when um, we can take some long shots, and we did uh, a couple of shows about long shot futures. Um, the M drive, I have to classify that. At, when I wrote about it in the blog, I do classify it as, a, as kind of a long shot, as, as, is, uh, as is black light uh, power production. But boy, one of these long shots is going to pay off one of these days, and it's going to be, uh, what's the term we like to use? Freaking huge. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be enormous. So this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about news that proves the world is getting better all the time, and we're going to look at a few more of those stories and maybe take a few minutes to consider the Contra case, the case uh, that those who uh, disagree that the world's getting better all the time might make. 
if you'd like to join our conversation, we've got uh, online chat occurring right now, or you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. So, uh, we have Michael, three ask... sizes, we, not so we, and friggin' huge! Okay, sorry, Phil. <laughs> that, that is descriptive not only of the Fast Forward Radio coffee mug that some lucky listener is going to win this week based on their better all-the-time contribution, but also the payoff for one of these big long-shot futures when, when one of them finally does come true. Um, you know, you work on, if you work on the obvious things, okay, you get some Wii improvement. Uh, you work on uh, less obvious things, it's not so Wii, and then there's uh, things like the M drive, right? I think that's going to get It'll be friggin' huge if it happens. That's going to be freaking huge. And, uh, and the other cool thing is uh, it's the American taxpayers not having to cover it. it it's, it the Chinese are doing it. So. It's, it's distributed. That's right. That's <laughs> even, even better. Well, and yeah. interestingly, Blacklight's not being paid for by the taxpayers either. Uh, that, that one is uh, privately funded. It's a, it, it's a business. So yeah. um, all, all kinds of good news associated with these. Now, um, Michael, I'm going to ask you what's going on in the chat room. Do we have any entries so far for um, good news from our uh, chat room participants? Or if any of you are listening right now and you want to type one in real fast, that would be great. Not, uh, not directly. I will, I will point out that uh, it turns out in the world of large dump trucks, there is some controversy over whether or not the Cat 970B or the Komatsu 930E are which one is actually the biggest dump truck in the world. You know, and that's an indirect thing because the ability to make a gigantically huge uh, dump truck that can move more than the previous generation of dump trucks is, uh, you know, if nothing else, it's cool. I don't know that it's getting better all the time, but it's it's a cool thing. Well, I'm looking forward to a Mecca. I'm sorry, a what? Uh, a mecha. You know, you know what I'm talking about, Phil. A giant robot that can move things around. You know. Oh, like oh yeah, like Gundam Mecha. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll 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 leave the truck uh, paradigm behind because we're gonna have big humanoid robots that just walk around and pick stuff up and carry it where it needs to go, right? There and they go. can fly. Yeah, you'll you'll need an M drive. You'll need a working M drive for that. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be cool. We won't have car. We won't have flying cars. We'll just each have our own mecca. We just get in it, and it walks us around when we're in in town. And when we got we have to go great distances, it uh, it flies us around. Okay, looks like David Ray's come up with something here. He says spread of cell phones in third world. All right, that is yeah, that, a good one, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and instead of having to write uh, lines, you know, telephone lines, uh, which is very expensive, you know, and and. In, in, uh, uh, particularly in, in, in countries that are developing, uh, that, to cover the cost of that, you know, you put up a cell tower, and uh, everyone gets their own cell phone, and, and that, that. And so, a lot of these places, they've, you know, they basically have uh, leapfrogged the old paradigm. They never adopted the old paradigm of uh, of a landline in the home. Instead, everybody just walks around with cell phones. Seems to work. Absolutely. Well, uh, David points out that this represents advances in infrastructure, education, availability, and technology, plus increasing living standards. Absolutely, it speaks to all of those things, and it's. Uh, and he's really it's gunning for that, that coffee mug. He's he's going for the coffee mug, but I think Matt's got some stuff he's getting ready to type. I, I can just I can feel the uh, I can feel the tension here on this end of the keyboard that uh, that uh, he's, he's going <laughs> to get his entry in here pretty quick. Um, well, that, while he's that doing is, that, can I, can I throw in another one while he's doing that? Why sure. Okay. Chrysler had a hidden electric car program that they were, I mean, they, they, they hid this thing well. You know, we, we've been talking about the uh, Chevy Volt for, I don't know, 
I don't know, since since we came over to Block Talk Radio about a year ago almost. We've been talking about yep. the Chevy Volt. And come to find out, Chrysler has been working uh, as hard as GM on their own line of uh, electrical vehicles, and practically nobody knew about it. And uh, it looks like they may be bringing, their, bringing out their EVs and uh, range-assisted EVs the same time as the, uh, as the Chevy Volt comes out. So, I mean, this is huge news. This is, uh, uh, I guess, bad news if, uh, if you're uh, GM and, and, try and, and thought you were going to leapfrog the market or, or bring something to market before anybody else. But, uh, but great news for the consumers that's right. and for the market generally because the more players, obviously, the, that, that's going to drive competition. That's going to drive the quality of the product. That's going to drive the speed at which they're forced to innovate um, and, and evolve these electric car technologies as, as they bring them to market. That's right. So what do we know about Very cool. What do we know about the Chrysler cars? How, how do they compare to the Volt? Are they, are they plug-in hybrids also? Um, they, have, they have one sports car that they're, electric, baby. Uh, they have one sports car that's going to be all electric, and um, and then they have uh, other uh, two other range-assisted models. One's going to be like a minivan, and one will be uh, like a Jeep, like a four-door Jeep, with. Uh, um, uh, with, the, with the ability to uh, to plug in, and now when I when I'm talking about range extended, it's 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 different from a plug-in hybrid. I, we've talked about this a couple times on the show. Plug-in hybrid would be uh, where the uh, the engine is actually attached to the drivetrain. These these cars would have a small engine that uh, charge the batteries as you go down the road, and so it's EV all the time, even when the uh, when the gas engine's running, it's just charging the battery. Right now, that's the Chevy, right? Or is that trying to shut up? Right. Well, it's it's both. It's the Chevy Volt is going to be that way, uh, but the uh, the Chrysler uh, vehicles that they're bringing out are going to be that way also. So. Okay. So and that's and and both both of those then represent a real step forward from the Prius model, which right. is this kind of switching back and forth, not trying to be electric and using gas to support electric, but but it was it was more of a do as much as you can with electricity and then use gas when you have to kind of a model for propulsion. Here we're saying we're using the gas to make the electricity when we have to, right? That's right. Yeah. So that is a big that is a big step forward. That's that's pretty freaking huge. Well Stephen, I guess you know you're you're going for the coffee mug too here, huh? <laughs> I think I'm I am i am not in the running since uh, I'm a co host, so I, I hate we got we, we gotta get some more uh, get, gotta get some more from the chat room. Yeah, okay. So we'll we'll see if we get some more from the chat room. Meanwhile, um let's consider the uh, David's idea about um, mobile phones uh, improving life in the third world leads me kind of to the to the case against the better all the time argument. And I thought we might spend a few minutes on that. I had actually provided a link to you guys, and we can uh, we can put this in the show notes to a, an article by uh, Peter Hitchens, and I believe he's Christopher Hitchens' brother, if I'm not mistaken. He's a uh, he, he's a journalist. And he's talking. His story is entitled "How China Created a New Slave Empire in Africa," which is just a horribly depressing title. And what he describes there is basically an old-style imperialist power grab by China in Africa, talking about how um, you've got just unbelievably low pay and deplorable working conditions for the for for, for people who are working for uh, Chinese uh, companies or, or for uh, uh, representatives of the Chinese government who have come in and set up contracts with the, the local African authorities and essentially have reduced many thousands of people to 
virtual slavery. And you look at things like that, and that's hardly an isolated incident. I, that one caught my attention today. Uh, it's hardly an isolated incident. You can, uh, you can look elsewhere in Africa and find many more examples of, uh, of things that, that uh, a person could look at and say, how, in good conscience, how can, can, can you be right in the head and argue that the world is getting better all the time when you see terrible developments like this, not only uh, things, that are, things that are wrong, but things that are maybe in some sense worse than they used to be. How can the world be getting better all the time if life is, getting, if, if life is so horrible and possibly getting worse for some people? Well, my, my uh, response to that is that, yes, bad things will it continue to happen um, and, and, will, and will continue to happen for a long time. Um, we we continue. What what we do is we advance in a two step forward, one step back kind of way. It seems like um, you know we always seem like we're having setbacks here and there and everywhere. But our our moves forward are 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 more, or you know, than 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 the uh, than the hits we take. Um, you know, this is cold comfort to the poor people that are uh, are basically in slavery to the Chinese in Africa. But um, as a whole, the world is moving forward, and the, the number of people that are in slavery or in servitude that you know would equate to slavery throughout the world, that number's got to be dropping. And I, I wish I, I wish I could uh, give you a sight on that. And I'm actually even looking through the Better All the Time book to see if uh, there might be something that would uh, deal with that. But I'm going to find a I'm going to find a source for that because I, I believe that that is the case that the, uh, that slavery as a phenomenon in the world is de- is decreasing over time. I, I would I would like to see that one because I I sense that it's true. I certainly think that um, the number of people who are bought and sold as as chattel slavery, you know, as chattel slaves, that has that has definitely decreased over the centuries. That uh, that that phenomenon has become anathema it's it's socially unacceptable it's you know governments no longer will accept the idea of that even though the practice still continues to a certain extent but but hand in hand with that there's this idea of you know people essentially forced against their will um, to work in conditions that they would never have wanted to work in to to you know endure all kinds of hardships just to kind of eke out a living and that's a hard number that's a you know that's a hard one to get your hand on but I would suspect and in fact, I am quite certain that that the uh, the, the number of people and the, the, certainly the percentage of the overall population of the planet that are in those kinds of conditions has gone down. That right. uh, that there are few, fewer people who are forced to experience that kind of uh, uh, you know degradation and uh, uh, you know humiliation and you know I, there, there's not enough bad words you can put on that it, it's that's right and as you say it, it it does it does it does the people who are suffering it right now very little good to hear that well actually there are fewer of you people you know experiencing this now than there used to be that right. that is that is of little comfort to them but the fact that the trend is is moving in that direction should be of astounding comfort to all of us and should be of relevance to all of us because we you know we, we have to hasten the day um, when when that is eliminated, and, and there's a couple things I would say about uh, about that particular story. One is that um, the fact that it's notable, the fact that that's news that you look at and go, oh, that's horrible in this day and age that those things are happening, 
tells you something about where expectations have moved in the world. That's and right. the fact that expect, expectations have moved to that place in the world tells you that actually the world we expect is, is one that has improved dramatically from those kinds of things occurring. There's something else. At the beginning of the story, Hitchens describes a really harrowing scene where he and a couple other reporters are trying to get out of one of these camps because the people in it um, are like beating on the car. They want to, they want, the people who work there want to pull them out of the car and kill them because the bosses have, have said, you know what's going to happen is these reporters are going to go tell people about this and they're going to close this place down and you're not going to get your money anymore. You're going to lose your job. So not to in any way defend uh, the, the conditions that these people live under. The fact that they would uh, feel threatened by that and that they would fight to actually protect that position that they have tells you that in some way those circumstances are better than, than the ones that they imagined they would have if that, uh, if that job wasn't there, which does not And, and I suppose that they, they would know better than us what their position exactly. would be. Um, uh, without that, without that, if you can call it a job, um, it, you know, I, in starvation, um, you know, you, you do anything to avoid starvation. So, anyway, obviously, what what's really needed is to, and to build the infrastructure so that they can, you know, have a real life there. But um, that's, you know, it, it's a, it's a long haul. It's a long haul, and and uh, I think the fact that we're as horrified by it as we are indicates to a certain extent um, how intolerable to the, to the world going forward this kind of thing is and must be. And, and I think that that's probably the, uh, uh, the, the better all the time lesson that, that can be learned from looking at something like that. But I think your point is extremely well made. We, we're never arguing that life is always going to be happy for everybody. The, right. the world is improving and our circumstances are improving, but it doesn't mean that you know, disasters won't happen, that tragedies won't happen, or that people won't have terrible, painful, unhappy lives. Of course, all those things uh, are, are continuing to go on, and we are, have never suggested uh, uh, otherwise. But that doesn't mean that the world isn't uh, improving. The world isn't getting better all the time, and I think there's a strong case to be made, uh, as we have pointed out in, in Better All the Time over the last few years, that uh, that, in fact, is happening. So this is... Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about how the world really is getting better all the time. And if you want to join us, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972 or join our online chat. Now, Michael, what's going on in the chat room? Uh, any other uh, ideas for how the world's getting better all the time since we took that little diversion? Uh, well, yeah, the slavery thing induced a couple uh, an interesting discussion that came full circle to the mortgage guys because I was observing that you're – your uh, report about China uh, abusing uh, some workers in Africa made me feel like maybe China was moving all their mortgage brokers to Africa. But uh, I was kind of joking. And uh, uh, But Matt put up a good one. Um, this article, he put the link in there, and I copied the headline, New Way to Control Protein Activity Could Lead to Cancer Therapies. And if um, if you read the article, which I scanned quickly, uh, I put another line in there. The new technique could also speak to the development of therapies in which cancer-fighting proteins are selectively delivered to tumors. Wicked cool uh, advance and, you know, perhaps not quite as creepy as the IM legend scenario. 
Um, but all the while, uh, very uh, interesting uh, therapy. Not, I wouldn't say preventative. I don't see the the, the trick there, but as a uh, as a therapy after the fact, it looks pretty cool. Very cool. And Matt notes that this research is going on in his hometown, so that's a, a nice local angle. Uh, Stephen, this sounds familiar. We uh, this might be further developments on something that that uh, we talked about previously on an earlier show, or maybe that you had written about. That it, it just sounds like something that we've talked about before, or am I imagining that? This is not the same thing as the uh, um, as the gift treatment, uh, the granulocyte uh, treatment. I don't I don't think that's the same deal at all. Is it? I don't think it is. No, these are proteins. Um, so so maybe not. Maybe that's what I was. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. But off the bat, without having read that, uh, you can you can see where um, you, you can see where proteins would be an extremely viable way of doing this because they can uh, be, because they you know can can be reproduced uh, because they can get in there and and you know actively take something out. But you don't, as Michael points out, you don't have that virus going nuts reproducing itself problem. Although virus, uh, proteins themselves can be dangerous. I believe that mad cow disease is a protein and not a virus. So we'll, we'll have to play carefully with, uh, with, with whatever tools we're using to, uh, to fight cancer, whether that be uh, viruses, proteins, or, or nanobots. But that is a, a tremendously uh, positive development, I would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, let me throw out another one. Um, you hear about the 12-year-old kid who uh, and, and made a new and improved solar cell? Uh, did I read about that on a blog someplace? It seems like I did. <laughs> well, this one I wrote, so you know you probably <laughs> did read it. <laughs> Tell us. Okay, William Wan is his name. Um, he uh, he's 12 years old, and he decides he's just wasting his childhood. So he uh, <laughs> he uh, he looks at the 3D solar cells that have been developed and says, well. Uh, this is this is a good idea. Um, you know, with with the 3D solar cell, you you are capturing more of the uh, of the of the uh, of the waves. The different uh, you're absorbing different uh, parts of the light so that you can get more power out of it. And he said, well, you know, but this can be improved. And uh, so he came up with one. And uh, I'm just read from it. William invented a novel solar panel that enables light absorption from visible to ultraviolet light. He, desi he designed carbon nanotubes to overcome the barriers of electron movement, doubling the light el electricity conversion efficiency. We also developed a model for solar towers. Um, that's when they're talking solar towers, they're not talking uh, big tall things. They're talking within the 3D solar panels, I believe. And a computer okay. model to simulate to optimize the uh, parameters. His optimized design provides 500 times more light absorption than commercially available solar cells now, and nine times more than the cutting-edge 3D dimensional solar cells that are in laboratories now. And uh, my thought is that you know this is not a marginal improvement. If uh, if they can figure out a way to take these solar cells and manufacture them uh, for a reasonable cost. It's a it's a revolutionary paradigm shifting sort of development. That the sort of thing that um, all of a sudden becomes more it becomes cheaper to put these things on your rooftop and get your electricity this way than getting it off the grid. Which when you reach that point, uh, that's uh, that, that changes things big time. That is just a, an incredibly cool story. Twelve years old. This kid comes Twelve up years with old. stuff. I. I mean, I look back on the kinds of things I was thinking about and doing when I was 12, 
and uh, unfortunately, uh, developing new tech, you know, world-changing technologies was not among them. At least not in a not in a serious, uh, disciplined kind of way. He obviously has access to a good deal of. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I wonder what he. I wonder what he does have access to. He's not actually trying to synthesize, build these materials himself. He's designing them. So, so he has. Obviously, he has access to some uh, some tools that your typical twelve-year-old does not. Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, he's, he, you know, he's taking carbon nanotubes and uh, creating better. You know, obviously he's he's got some tools, but I mean, he's also got some. He's got a tool between his ears that the average twelve-year-old doesn't have too. Uh, the kid, the kid, the kid's yeah, got to be a average, genius. Thirty-two-year-old uh, doesn't have. Yeah, matter. Um, that's right. That's right. The kid's the kid's a genius. Well, that's a great story. It's a very very encouraging story. I hope hope we hear more from uh, from him, and I hope that. Uh, I hope that something positive comes of this. You know, we, we talk about the becoming solar singularity, and we talk about rapid developments in solar energy. Uh, you, you think about big, uh, uh, big government agencies and, and big industries working on these developments. Uh, uh, a, a kid who should be, you know, by age in the seventh grade, sitting and, and, and mapping out a, a huge step forward, is not one of the scenarios I had envisioned. But I'm uh, very pleased to hear that that's going on. It makes me think. Well, wonder where else uh, uh, big steps forward might be coming from. That's right. And speaking of doing things with advanced materials and also interesting places where new developments are coming from, did you happen to see the story about who's working on a space elevator? I did. I did. The Japanese. And, uh, Japanese. That's extremely cool. One of, the, one of the things nearest and dearest to our hearts is the space elevator. Yes, well, I... One of the reasons that I've awarded no points uh, to either of the presidential candidates for the debate Friday night was uh, uh, there was no mention of a space elevator whatsoever, and it was already in the news that somebody is seriously working on this. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, that uh, one of them is going to step up and, and and talk about this now that it's been introduced into the in, into you know reasonably serious uh, public discourse. This is this is another good example. We talk about the evolution of thinking around um, uh, around pluripotent stem cells being produced from mature tissues. This was an idea that was, uh, just a few years ago, radical and ridiculous, and now people are seriously doing it, and we're looking at it coming into widespread, uh, widespread use. Space elevator is another example of that kind of thing. And exactly. this is an idea that I first had when I was like, I don't know, 15 years old, and I think I came up with it independently. I might have read it in Arthur C. Clarke or something like that, but I, but I just had this idea, you know, we could save a lot of money if we just build a, you know, put something in orbit, and then you dangle a thing, and I actually had that idea. So, I, you know, I was no 12-year-old prodigy, but, uh, but but that was an idea I had, and it was it has been for the last, you know, since someone first proposed it, somewhere just a little south of sheer fantasy. Right? It's, right. It's, it's not an idea that has been, uh, you know, something like solar energy that, that has received a lot of serious attention. Right. Until all of a sudden it is an idea that's getting some serious attention. And you know, when I, was, uh, when I was a kid back in the 70s, Phil, um, I read something uh, that talked about, you know, what it would take to build a beanstalk. It, it says, how, how to build a beanstalk was the name of the article. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously it was referring back to the beanstalk that Arthur C. Clarke had envisioned. Um, and it went through all the different the different uh, metals and, and materials that were available, you know, industrial-grade steel all the way up until, you know, 
And then the, the, uh, it, it said, okay, here's what we really need. We need something that uh, falls into, has these characteristics. And uh, they, he called the material fictionite. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, um, anyway, it, it actually had a tensile strength that's far beyond anything that we can envision even with carbon nanotubes uh, because they were imagining a beanstalk that was basically made of something that was as heavy as steel. And in order to have some, something that heavy that would reach into outer space, then you know, obviously it's got to be stronger than we could ever even envision carbon nanotubes being. What we're thinking about now. Tubes being that they're that they're much uh, stronger than steel and also much lighter than steel. We were he was envisioning a tower that looked like uh, I don't know uh, like a antenna tower that goes into outer space or something. Uh, right. What we are what we are envisioning now is a ribbon that's uh, very thin, uh, made of carbon nanotubes that stretches in outer space. Right. Much lighter, now, obviously. What the what the, what the Japanese uh, scientists what in on this consortium. Uh, have have said is that um, to get this thing going, we're going to need carbon nanotubes uh, attached to a fixed platform in orbit, which extends to a base station on Earth. I should have explained that's the basic idea for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what we're talking about when we say space elevators. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a fixed means of transport from Earth to space and back. You you uh, essentially you attach a tether uh, to a satellite in orbit, and then you can run something like an elevator car up and down that tether. Now, carbon nanotubes are the technology of choice for doing this because they're much stronger than steel, much lighter than steel. Um, the thing is, right now, what, what is available in terms of carbon nanotubes suffers in terms of length. No one has made anything uh, terribly long with carbon nanotubes to date. And of course, these would have to be extremely long fibers to reach out into space. And the other, the other issue is around strength. In order to do it, uh, these carbon nanotubes would have to be about four times as strong as what we currently have. So that sounds like, wow, we've got a long way to go. But the article points out that the strength of such materials has increased a hundredfold in the past five years. Amazing. So, yeah, so we don't have much farther to go, considering how far we've come, in order to have a material strong enough to provide a space elevator. We've still got to figure out how to make it long enough. And, of course, there are 10,000 logistical issues that would have to be worked out in order to actually make this happen. But, the, but, but one of the major problems, fictionite, seems to, have, uh, seems to have been solved. That's right. It looks like we may have the fictionite we need. Um, I, you know, and like you say, other logistical problems, a, a big one is, well, how do you power the cars that go up and down this thing? And things like that. I mean, and obviously, lots of things need to be worked on, but... Uh, um, the fact that it's being seriously considered, um, and, and can you imagine, Phil, once we're able to uh, break the gravity well without having to, you know, uh, uh, you know, basically get, get on a very dangerous explosive rocket ship and, and blast our way into orbit, uh, that that'll seem like uh, the wild and woolly days of the space uh, of, of uh, space exploration. Uh, once we have the once we have a space elevator. It seems like once you have that space elevator, the true age of space can, can begin. That's right. Because you have this, this safe uh, and, and so much cheaper, so much cheaper, so much safer way of moving materials and, uh, and people into space. I think that uh, that's going to be a breakthrough uh, unlike any that have come before in terms of the exploration of the universe. So we've got right, that. Right now, billionaires can spend uh, you know, 20, 30 million and go into outer space uh, for vacation. Um, 
normal people after the after the space elevator is invented, normal people can get on can get on the space elevator and go into outer space and uh, and it'd be roughly I, I'm I'm just going to put out there that it'd be roughly um, a first class flight on a on a commercial airline. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, eventually, so. eventually you would you would get to that you would get to that point, and then from there, with infrastructure up there, with actual settlement occurring up there, uh, you you have real possibility of people moving out into the planets, moving uh, to the moon. Um, and Robert A. Heinlein, I believe it was, who said that uh, low Earth orbit is halfway to anywhere. So if we can uh, if we can get a space elevator going, the the, the rest of the universe becomes a lot more conquerable uh, than it currently is having to come out of this gravity well all the time. So it's a huge potential development. And the fact that uh, that the Japanese government is seriously looking at it and seriously taking steps towards it, uh, I, I think, is, is extremely encouraging. And it's also a message to the U.S., to Europe, uh, to China, now that they're such big players in space, hey, you know, get serious about this because others are. And it's time to, uh, it's time to take that idea seriously. So very excited about that one. I see from the clock that we've actually exceeded our time just a bit, but that's what happens when you start talking about good news because there's so much of it that you can hardly make it fit into uh, uh, two hours, much less one hour, which we tried initially. So why don't we move quickly on to talking about what our music is this evening. Well, I mean, and I just want to add, Phil, we could do a part three next week because I've got a whole lot more. I mean, I've got I have, more, too. Yeah, why don't, we, why don't we'll keep the contest going, too, in fact. We'll, we'll have... Uh, We'll have part three next week, and we'll uh, double down. Um, the winner is going to get a uh, coffee mug and um, uh, a mystery gift in addition to the coffee mug. So, well, considering the, uh, the 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 week that we've had uh, in the uh, worldwide financial markets, uh, I I thought I'd go back and look at what you know FDR said that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Um, right. In that spirit, I offer this song. It's uh, James Casto's Courageous. All right. Now, you'll remember Courageous. this is the same. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Phil. I was just going to say, I was just repeating Courageous by James Castos. Go ahead. Yeah, he's the uh, artist who uh, performed Awesome Alpharetta <laughs> that we had on the show a few weeks back. Oh, so. right, right. Okay, so same same artist. Now he's singing uh, on the subject of courage, something uh, that's very much needed to get through these troubling times and also I think it takes a certain amount of courage to take the position that the world's getting better all the time, but uh, but we need to take that position, and so we need to be courageous and do so. All right, Stephen, well, thank you very much for your contribution this evening. Michael, thanks to you and to our friends in the chat room for their great ideas about good news. Hope they'll join us next week, and we will put together more ideas for uh, better all the time. Oh, you know what I just remembered, Stephen? What's that? Next week is our one-year anniversary for... Ah, yes, yes. Uh, the one-year anniversary of moving to Blog Talk Radio. Now, we should yeah, tell people course, yeah. that... we've been doing the show longer than that. Yeah, yeah we've, been do, we've been doing the show since 2005. May of 2005, we started, we had our first episode of Fast Forward Radio. But, I mean, we, we published it like, you know, whenever we felt like it kind of thing. You know, once a month for a while if we were doing good, and then sometimes we'd go... Four and five months before coming out with another episode. We've been doing it once a week for the last year, and uh, we're kind of excited about that. It's, uh, Absolutely. This is, a, this is a landmark for us. So I think next, next week we'll probably focus on that anniversary somehow, but we can, uh, we can bring some better all-the-time good news in there as well, and we will also announce the winner of who has provided the best good news, uh, either in the chat room this evening or in comments to the, uh, 
to the show notes, which will be going up uh, probably sometime this evening or tomorrow. So uh, we'll look forward to being with you all next week for the big one-year anniversary special of Fast Forward Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Until then, good night.